I get thinking about how I was trying to sell gym night, and I, I don't want to sell it short. It is, it is a good time. I don't, I can't, I don't know for sure that any kids will whack you in the shins with a plastic hockey stick. I'm just saying it has happened in the past, and it's possible that it could happen again. Um, but it is a really good way to find out how you are aging. I used to be able to run around in a gym like that for three hours without, you know, even having to catch my breath. Now it's more like 30 seconds before I'm bent over with my hands on my knees. Um, time goes by very, very fast. I was thinking about that this week, and I realized it was about 10 or 12 years ago that um, Gavin, my son, for those of you who don't know him or me, uh, Gavin and I started watching what I call superhero movies. He was at that age where he was kind of obsessed with Spider-Man and Batman and Iron Man and Captain America and uh, all those guys. And to me, it seemed like there were at least a thousand of each kind of movie like that because it seemed like every movie that we went to see was one of those. And so I did a little digging and I found out that the, there, did you know, did you know that there are two universes? Some of you are like, yeah, of course, what am I, an idiot? And others of you are like, what are you talking about? Well, there's two, uni two superhero universes. There's the Marvel Universe, and there's the DC Universe. And the Marvel Universe is like Iron Man and Captain America and those guys, and the DC Universe is Batman and Superman. And some of you are like, are you, is this guy going to say anything, or are we going to talk about comic books? Trust me, we're getting there. And so there just are, and there are a lot of them, 27 Marvel movies in the past like 15 years, and 30 DC movies in the past 30 years. And uh, I watched the first two or three of them with Gavin. They were somewhat interesting, kept my attention. And then after that, every time we went to watch one, I would just think, this is just so ridiculous. It's so unrealistic. I mean, these guys have these crazy supernatural powers. They're, they're shooting webs and crawling up the sides of buildings, and they're flying, and they're moving things with their minds. And I would get so distracted by how unrealistic and, and unnatural they were and think, this could never happen. Nobody could, nobody could ever do these things. It's impossible. And, of course, I would say that to Gavin. He would say, Dad, it's just a movie. Like, I know that, but still, I like to base my life in reality. And the reason why I was thinking about that is because we've been walking through Philippians, we've been hearing the Apostle Paul, and he's telling us all of these things. We've been talking about the fact that he has been raising the bar. He has been calling us to a higher standard as Christ followers. And sometimes when we read the Bible and we read about some of these guys that are in the Word of God, we think, nobody could do that. It's impossible. Think about Noah, Genesis chapter 6. Noah and his family were literally the only ones in the whole world that were serving God. I know that for some of us, sometimes when things are really crazy in our world, we think nobody else believes the same way as we do. But, you know, it's an exaggeration. We like to hyperbolize in our lives because that's not true. There are other people that think like us. There's a bunch of us here right now this morning. 
But for Noah, it was literally just him and his family. And he builds an ark, and they float around in it for 40 days. It pours rains, and God destroys the whole world. Can you imagine that? What about Moses? Moses goes in, and God says, I want you to stand up to Pharaoh face to face, nose to nose, and tell him that you're taking the Israelites out of here. They're not going to be slaves anymore. And Moses does it. 1.5 million people, he walks right out of there with them. David kills a lion and a bear with his slingshot, and then God calls him to defeat Goliath, this great giant who is, who is intimidating the whole army of Israel. And he does it. And Daniel refuses to compromise and spends a night in the lion's den. Well, who could do these things? It's impossible. And then we come to Paul. Paul's traveled all over the world. He's led hundreds, maybe thousands of people to Christ. He's planted all these churches. We know on this end of history that he wrote half of the New Testament. And he's calling us to this higher standard. I want you to be advancing the gospel. I want you to be willing to suffer. I want you to always put other people first. And as we talked about last week, and I want you to do all of these things without complaining. And we can look at this and we can say, yeah, right. Sure, Paul. I mean, that's easy for you to say. You're this amazing person that God is using, but what about us? And now right in the middle of this, right in the middle of the book of Philippians, Paul mentions these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Why does he do that? Paul often mentions people and lists people's names, but it's usually at the end by way of greeting. But I think Paul knew what he was doing here. He's given us all of these challenges. He's calling us to this higher standard. He's reminding us that we are citizens of heaven. And then right in the middle of it, he gives us these two examples, two ordinary, living, breathing examples of guys who are living out God's teaching. We're living out these challenges that God is giving us through Paul to show us that it is possible. Because as citizens of heaven, we are called to serve the church. And this higher standard, as difficult as it may sound, this higher standard is not too much for God to ask of us. If Timothy and Epaphroditus can do it, we can too. So we're going to look at these guys this morning in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible there, turn with me to Philippians 2 and verse 19. We're going to talk about them one at a time and then we'll see what it is that God is showing us. Here's Timothy in Philippians 2 verse 19. Let me read those verses for you. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself 
will come also. So first of all, Paul mentions Timothy. Now we're introduced to Timothy in Acts chapter 16. We haven't seen him before that. Remember the book of Acts is kind of like the history of the New Testament church being established. And so we get to Acts 16 and Paul is traveling and he meets this family. And in the family there is this young man, Timothy. Timothy has a Greek father he has a Jewish mother, and at some point in his life, he has come to Christ. And Paul takes him on as a disciple of his. And Timothy starts to travel with Paul, and he started helping him plant churches. Now, if you can remember, when we started talking about the book of Philippians a few weeks ago, we said that, Philippians, or that Acts 16 is the story or contains the story of the planting of the church at Philippi. And so Timothy was there. That was his first experience working with Paul was this church in Philippi. So the people there knew him. They knew all about him. They had known him as a young man. Eventually, as Paul trained, after Paul trained him, eventually Paul would send him to Ephesus to be their pastor. At this point, Timothy has probably traveled with Paul for 10 years so they know each other very well. You see there in those verses I read for you that he has been to me like a son with a father. So they had this very, very close connection. And I want you to notice how Paul describes Timothy. He says in verse 20, I have no one like him. Now that's quite a statement. For all the people that Paul had worked with, for all the people that he'd interacted with, served with, traveled with, those who helped him. Remember, he had Barnabas for a while, if you know anything about the book of Acts. And then Barnabas and Paul went their separate ways, and Silas started traveling with Paul. And they did all these things together. But Paul says, I have nobody like Timothy. Timothy was unique. So the question is, what made him so special? Was it some amazing talent or ability that he had? What does Paul say? I want you to notice he tells us three things about Timothy that made him unique. First of all, he says he was genuinely concerned for others. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Tim was speaking, and he spoke on the first few verses of Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, let me remind you, says this. Look each of you or let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That was one of the ways that Paul called us to a higher standard, do you remember? We need to care for other people. We need to put other people first. And Timothy lived out that truth. With him, it was real and genuine. Now, if I were to ask you, if I were just to come up to you and say, hey, how do you feel about other people? Do you care about them at all or no, just care about yourself? Hmm? What would you, Joel, what would you say if I asked you that? Would you say, no, nah, I just care about myself? Yeah, just you. I figured that's probably how you'd answer. You wouldn't say that, right? If I said, look, Joe, do you just care about yourself or do you care about other people? I mean, you'd say, no, of course, I, I, I care about other people. And I'm sure that Joe does. He's a good guy, and Joellen is a sweet lady, and I'm sure that she does too. With Timothy, it was the genuine desire of his heart 
to care for other people. It was real. It wasn't just like somebody putting him on the spot like I just did with you guys. By the way, I've done this a few times, and those people have never sat in this theater again. So um, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to drive you away, but I hope I do see you again someday. Uh, it wasn't somebody putting him on the spot. Paul was like, I know this guy. He's been with me every day for 10 years, and it is real. His concern for people is real. He was genuinely concerned about others. Here's the second thing Paul tells us, and that is he was willing to sacrifice. We see that in the word concerned. The word concerned literally means to be anxious, but it also carries with it this idea, to be even distracted by someone else's need. Timothy was willing to do whatever it took. Not, not only did Timothy say, yes, I care about other people, and not only did he demonstrate that by doing things for people, Timothy was so concerned for them that even to the point of being distracted by other people's needs. The picture here is that Timothy would be going along doing the things that he needed to do to, to care for himself or get his own responsibilities taken care of or whatever it was that he was doing that day. And he would see someone else's need and it would so burden him, he was so concerned for them that he would forget about what he was doing and he would go and help them. That's what that word means. So concerned about people that he was distracted by it so that he couldn't get anything else done until he had cared for the people around him. He was willing to sacrifice to serve others and to serve Christ. Well, why did that make him unique? You saw that in verse 21 when I read it. Paul said, I have no one like him in verse 20. Then he said, all these other people, they all seek their own interests. Certainly we could look around us today and we could say that characterizes our world, isn't it? All are concerned about their own interests. Paul said, Timothy, this guy, there's no one like him. There's no one like him. He's genuinely concerned. He's willing to sacrifice. And here's the third thing that Paul says about Timothy. He has proven himself. He has proven himself. Timothy was a rare person who didn't just talk about stuff. He actually did it. Do you have anybody like that in your life that just likes to talk about what they're going to do? <clears throat> I know a few people like that. They're just always talking about what they're going to do, always talking about what they got plans to do, what, what's in the hopper, what's coming up next. And if you ever stop and think back at some point, you might say, gee, I wonder whatever happened with that. I wonder whatever happened. I don't know if you guys are fans of Seinfeld or not. <laughs> um, but there's a character on Seinfeld. His name is Kramer. And Kramer is, well, he, he just has a unique personality. He was unique like Timothy. Not like Timothy, but he was unique in his own way. And he was always talking about these plans and these things that he was going to do. And he bursts into Jerry's apartment one day. And he says, I've got it. Levels. I'm going to build levels in my apartment. I'm going to get rid of all my furniture and just build these levels. 
And that's what I'm going to live on. That's what I'm going to do. And so Jerry makes him a bet. He said, I bet, you know, that this is not going to happen. He goes, yeah, no problem. I'm going to do it. No problem. You know, and he walks out. Then a few days later, he says, so how are the levels coming? And Kramer says, oh, I, I'm not going to do that. He goes, all right, where are we going? I think they bet going out to supper. Where are we going? He said, well, no, the bet's off. I'm not doing it. And Jerry's like, that was the bet that you wouldn't do it. But Kramer being, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't convince him. Anyway, that's a side note. But there are people like that, right? Sometimes we're like that. We're going to do something. It's going to happen. We're going to make the plans. And we don't follow through. Paul says, I don't have anybody in my life like Timothy. He's genuinely concerned about people. He's willing to sacrifice. He, he's, he's so concerned, he's distracted by the needs of others. He doesn't even get himself taken care of because he's caring about other people. And he's proven himself. Timothy doesn't just talk about stuff. He actually does it. He had a track record of serving others and sacrificing to do it. What I want you to notice here, folks, is Paul doesn't say anything about Timothy's abilities. Only his willingness to serve. Let's look at the second guy, Epaphroditus, in verse 25. Paul goes on, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Paul brings us even closer to home. A lot of the people in Philippi knew Timothy because he was there at the beginning when they planted the church. But Epaphroditus was from Philippi. He was one of their people. And he had traveled to Rome where Paul was in prison to help him. Now we know this that Philippi was about 700 miles away from Rome. And Epaphroditus had offered to go. Now, for us, 700 miles, that would be like going to Richmond, Virginia is about 700 miles away, or Detroit, Michigan is about 700 miles away. What you need to understand is that Epaphroditus would have walked. He would have walked 700 miles to see Paul the people in Philippi heard that he was in prison. They said, we've got to help Paul. And Epaphroditus said, I'll go. And so he walked to Rome to care for Paul. Now we know here from what Paul says that he became very ill on the journey. And he recuperated for a while there. The Philippians heard that, that Epaphroditus had gotten ill. And so Paul sent him back with this letter to tell them how he was doing and to care for them. In verse 30, we see there, Paul even says, Epaphroditus risked his life. He risked his life to care for me. 
And so Paul says, please receive him back with joy and honor him. Now again, Epaphroditus was just a regular guy. This is the only time that he is mentioned is here in Philippians. We don't know anything else about him. But Paul says five things here. Notice it. When he talks about Epaphroditus, he says, first of all, he's a brother. He's a brother. What does that speak of? Well, brother speaks of affection and care and concern. Also, more than that, he was a fellow worker. Epaphroditus was willing to pitch in. He was willing to work hard and participate in whatever was going on. But Paul goes further. Not only is he a brother and a fellow worker, but he's a fellow soldier. He was not afraid to get into the battle and get involved in what was going on. Fourthly, he says he was a messenger. Literally, the word messenger there means a delegate. He was willing to be sent. It probably went something like this. The church at Philippi was together having a meeting. They were worshiping, whatever they were doing. They were praying together. They were singing together. They were studying God's word together. And someone said, hey, we really should pray for Paul in prison. So they prayed for him. And then somebody said, hey, what if we sent somebody to see how he was doing and to take him some money and some provisions so that he can be cared for? Okay, that's a good idea, but who's going to go? And Epaphroditus said, I'll go. I'll do it. He was a messenger. And then fifthly, Paul says he was a minister. Now, we use the word minister in our culture we think of somebody doing what I'm doing right now, right? We think about a pastor. But the word minister literally means servant. If you and I could read Greek and we were reading Philippians in Greek, it would say he was a, he was a servant. So once again, we see in Epaphroditus, not exceptional ability necessarily, but a willingness to serve. Now, how does all this apply to us? Well, I want to show you, I think, several things that Paul is pointing out to us from Timothy and Epaphroditus that we can learn from. Here's the first one. The work and ministry and mission of the church cannot be done by one person or even a select few. Now, some of you may not know too much about the New Testament or the Bible, but for those of you who do know something about the New Testament, if you were going to pick one person, if you were going to rank everybody in the New Testament to the greatest to the least, the person that God used the most, person with the most ability to the least, who would you put number one, not counting Jesus? You'd probably say Paul, right? I mean, he wrote 12 books of the New Testament. He planted all these churches. He did all this stuff. But what I want you to see here and what Paul is pointing out to us is that even Paul couldn't do it all by himself. These guys stepped up. He needed help. One of the things that I am so grateful for here in this church is the team of people that we have. I mean, I hesitate when we put us all together to even call it a team because it's like most of the church. <laughs> all of the people that are involved in doing. One person could not do this. Even a handful of people could not do this. It would not be possible. 
these guys stepped up. Timothy had been faithful for 10 years and had stayed strong. He had been by Paul's side. Epaphroditus had risked his life to be there and to encourage him. The ministry, the work, the mission of the church cannot be accomplished by one person, not even by a select few. Here's the second thing I think Paul is pointing out to us. Every Christ follower is called to serve the church. Every Christ follower is called to serve the church. Everybody has the ability to serve. You don't have to wonder. Monday night in our theology class that we've been having at the office, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and we spent some time talking about spiritual gifts and we realized that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that every Christ follower has at least one spiritual gift. Every Christ follower is prepared by the Holy Spirit to participate in what we're doing, in serving together. And I think so often we say, well, I wonder if I should serve in the church. And Paul says, you don't have to wonder. You are. Everyone is. One author that I was reading uh, this week said this. I thought it was a very interesting quote. He says, sometimes I'd like to ask why God, or I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty, why he allows suffering and injustice when he could do something about it. But I'm afraid that he would ask me the same question. We are all called to serve. We're all called to care for people that are around us. Here's the third thing Paul's telling us. Servants are not marked by exceptional ability, but exceptional willingness. It's the everyday encouraging of others. It's the generosity of time. It's being willing to step in and do what needs to be done. So many of these things are things that aren't even seen by anyone else. I know how we have these conversations with ourselves in our own minds, many of us. We say, well, I, I don't really have a lot of ability. I can't do some of those things. You might come here on a Sunday morning, and you might see the band get up and do the things they do, and you might say, well, I can't do that. I mean, I can't play an instrument. I can't sing. I can't do any of those things. Or you might come on a Sunday morning, and you might see me or Tim, and you might say, well, I can't do that. I can't get up and do that. But servants aren't marked by their ability. They're marked by their willingness. So the question to ask yourself is not, do I have these exceptional abilities? Do I have something that, that I could do that people would say, wow, look at that? That's not the question. The question is, am I willing to care for the people that are around me? The fourth thing that Paul is, is pointing out to us, I think, is servants don't live for themselves. How often have you said, well, I'd like to pitch in, I'd like to help, but, but I've got so much to do. I'm so busy. I couldn't possibly do that, or I don't have time to do it. Servants take Philippians 2, 4 to heart, and they live to meet the needs of others, and we can only do that by taking the focus off of ourselves. Paul was able to keep going in the face of his suffering, 
because these guys were there for him. They were with him. They were caring for him. In these dark nights, when Paul sat chained to the Roman guard, he could keep going because Timothy and Epaphroditus were meeting his needs and caring for him. Here's the fifth and last thing that I think Paul is telling us. The most valuable members of the body may not be the most visible members of the body. The most valuable members of the body may not be the most visible members of the body. When Jesus was talking to the disciples about how to become great in his kingdom, do you know what he told them? He said, if you want to be first, be last. If you want to be great, be the least. You want to be the most valuable person in the body of Christ? Then you make yourself the least. You do the things that no one else wants to do. I am convinced that when we get to heaven and we stand before Christ, those who will be most honored, those who will be most rewarded, will be people we have never heard of. People we have never seen before. Oh boy, I can't wait to get to heaven. I mean, you know, Billy Graham is going to be right up there at the front and, and D.L. Moody and all these guys that planted hundreds of churches and led tens of thousands of people to Christ. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's going to be a whole host of people that we've never seen before. If you're a Christ follower, then you're a citizen of heaven. If you're a citizen of heaven, then you're called to serve the church. It's not too much to ask. You don't have to be a superhero to do it. And do you know why you don't have to be? Because not only does God call us to this higher standard of living in this different kind of behavior, in this different life, not only does he command us to serve the church, but he does the work in us. He's the one who does it. Now, two weeks ago, Tim was talking about Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And I want to draw your attention back to them. The last part of verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And Tim did a great job of explaining what that means. What a, what a huge responsibility we have to respond to what God has given us. But keep listening. This is verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in you, in your life, for his purpose, for his pleasure. You don't have to strum up the power or the ability. God supplies that. You need to be willing to be used. I need to be willing to be used. You may or may not believe this, but there are lots of Sundays when I get up and I take my Bible and I get my notes out that I've prepared all week to get ready to do this on a Sunday morning. And there are times when I sit there and I think, I, I can't do this. And I'm nervous. I don't know if it looks like I'm nervous up here or not, but I'm nervous. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I forget everything that I've been thinking about all week? You know what my comfort is? Do you know what your comfort must be if you're going to be a servant? 
that God doesn't just call you to do it. He gives you the power to do it. He gives you the ability to do it. He gives you the strength to do it. Why can we work out our salvation? Why can we be called to this higher standard? Why can we please God with our lives? Because God is at work in us to accomplish his will. I want you to understand this this morning, folks. God uses ordinary people when they make a radical commitment to place everything on the altar before him. God desires your extraordinary willingness. He doesn't desire your extraordinary ability, your extraordinary willingness, because this is his church. And his desire more than anything else is your complete surrender to him. How's your serving? How are you contributing to the body every week? Who are you encouraging? To whom are you showing mercy? In his book, Forgotten God, Francis Chan said this. Listen to this. If everyone gave and served and prayed exactly like you, would the church be healthy and empowered or would it be weak and listless? If everyone served exactly like you do, what would our church be like? Sometimes it's the things that nobody ever knows about. This morning I was, or not this morning rather, this week I was working in my office, working on some things and my phone rang. I won't say who it was, but it was one of my brothers here from this church and I said, hey, I didn't expect him to call because I knew he was working. Hey, how you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing fine. I just wanted to call and see how you're doing. I'm, I'm doing great, thanks. He said, I just wanted you to know I was praying for you today. Don't know what's going on, but I just, God put you on my heart and he asked me to pray for you. I just want to encourage you. And then he was gone. <laughs> Yesterday afternoon, I got a text message. From someone else whose name I won't mention because I don't want to embarrass him. It wasn't a text message saying, hey, this person needs to be cared for and you should know about it so you can go do it. No, it was a text message saying, hey, I just want you to know that there's somebody that needs to be cared for and I'm doing it so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Those are the things that encourage me to keep going. That's the willingness of a servant. When we work together, when we persevere, when we serve together, we accomplish what God desires from us. What do you do each week that contributes to the health and growth of this church? Hmm? How's your surrender? How's your sacrifice? That's what God calls us to. Would you stand with us today? We're going to close with a song I think is pretty appropriate for what we've been talking about. I hope you sing out with us. Father, today we're here in your presence and we are simply asking that you would give your power and you would give your strength to those who are willing to serve, to care, to set aside self 
in order to meet the needs of the body and to meet the needs of our community. So we offer to your to you ourselves such as they are. Sometimes broken, sometimes inconsistent, sometimes fearful, sometimes trembling. All that we have, Father, we lay at your feet. And we pray that you would do your work, that you would build your church, for this is your church. And we know that you are at work in us to will and to work your purpose and your pleasure. Thank you for our time together today, Lord, to worship you, to focus our attention on you. And we pray that you would indeed build your church in this place for your glory. In Christ's name. Thanks for being here, folks. Hope you-